Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed episode 1,001. I'm Binary Kyle Gold. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking of how many confused people are going to be. So if we're going to go back to base 10, I am episode 65, Cam Hirazaki. And uh, we're enjoying the holiday season here. The mountains are adorned with lights and all festive and all. And all they and, are festive. Yep. Yeah, and football is in full swing. Oh, yes. We're finally starting to see, you know, what our our playoffs are going to be shaving up like. We're getting At a- least one of my Super Bowl picks still looks good, and the other one seems plausible. One of mine looks golden. I'm just saying. So, I know. I I'm know. just saying. The last two weeks have been good to my team. Yeah, they have. The, the season's been good to my team, really. <laughs> yeah, except for that uh, that Cleveland game, huh? We're still 11-2. and two. Shut up. <laughs> Anyhow, we've got some... Stuff to talk about today. We got some letters. We have promised that we will pick up the slack on our blowjob references. Oh yeah! So get Ta- ready. Talking about love. Brace yourselves with your mouth. <laughs> we we love our fans with mouth. Oh, well, at least that's what Colson's intro promises. Yes. Well, why don't you start us off with? Um... Yes, from the the news desk uh, for the folks who want to swim by and check out uh, Wikifur. Uh, Unsheathed has gotten uh, recently a nice expanded write-up uh, on the the show, what it's about, and the details and and history of it, uh, courtesy of uh, Mwali Moo, who uh, was at Thank our FFM show. Ah, cool. Yeah. Thanks much for that. Not to presume on the good nature and time of our fans, but we were... Just thinking it would be kind of cool if there was an episode list somewhere. We should yes. try to put that together, but I don't have all the... I guess I do have the summaries in in the RSS file. I could just sort of yeah, you can pull those snag up. them down. And he does list, however, uh, which episodes are our live episodes. That's cool. Which tend to be pretty entertaining. I like to think we're always entertaining. Except for maybe like, you know, episode two. <laughs> Well, I think that's where the androgynous robot fox came up. So. And that's also where the may or may not be wearing pants came up. Yeah. So, jokes that have stood the test of time. Yeah. Although we haven't mentioned the androgynous robot foxes in a while. They're around. Mouths yeah. open. <laughs> According Program to, to serve. <laughs> Speaking of mouths open, I am drinking a 2004 Spätzbergunder, which is this nice, very nice German wine. It tastes very European. And it's got a fox on it. And he's prancing. Hindquarters raised, tail high. Not all foxes are bottomy sluts. <laughs> oh, sorry. I see what you did there. I'm I'm looking into the future. He's foreshadowing. Um, we're also looking forward to our Las Vegas episode, which will be another live show. That will be number 67. There's no great significance to number 67, except that we'll be in Las Vegas, probably the night of Saturday, January 1st. And we'll have further details on, on our FA page. I'm trying to think if there's any like major sports figures who are number 67. Uh, I'm sure there were. Yeah, no, no, none that come to mind at the top of my head, though. There have been articles on sports sites listing the top players to wear each number. 
Really? Interesting. Yeah. I can't think of anyone who wore 67, though. Yeah. And I will not pull up my iPhone and look it up. I'll pay attention to the episode, I promise. Um, so, if you're if you're going to be in the Las Vegas area and you want to come join us for a show, we will have details posted once we get more of them settled out. Yeah. So, you know, people who don't have plans who want to take an impromptu vacation to Las Vegas on New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve in Las Vegas is, uh, is pretty awesome. Yes, it is. Just ask Adam Wan. <laughs> <laughs> or just go um, to his gallery. <laughs> uh, if that's still there, I don't know. Did he restore all of his gallery? Uh, I know he was in the process of doing so. Okay. Still looking for books for our top 2010 list. We've not gotten any emails yet about them, so... no. We're expanding it to include any books that you read during 2010. Just yeah. bonus points if they were released during 2010. Because we realized that I've read, I think, two books that were released during 2010, and Hirosaki maybe one. Or I realize like, there are books that I read that were released in 2010, but they've all been furry books. Which uh, doesn't mean they're bad. But, I mean, I think I've probably talked them to death already. But does we count can... if I read a book that was released in 2010, but I read it before it was released in 2009? Uh, ooh. Yeah, I mean, let's go for it. I'm not counting the books that I wrote that were released in 2010. No, I would hope not. The best book I read in 2010 was mine. <laughs> <laughs> it was simply delightful. <laughs> the best book I went back in time and read in 2010 was so real. <laughs> uh, speaking of... Um, Bridges' bonus story is finished. It's off being read by beta readers. I think mm-hmm. that's the same thing that I said last week. So nothing new on that front. But yeah, and uh, we are looking to also have possibly in our Las Vegas episode, or possibly in the interim episode between uh, further confusion and uh, New Year's in Vegas, we're going to look to have a uh, Colson on uh, the show. Uh, you may know him either for his music that he does. Uh, he posts a lot of it to FA, and I know he sells digital copies of his albums. He does. Uh, yep. And uh, he we also does the intro and outro to our. Or, he put together the intro to our show. Very nice. Or, you, you might know him from that. Like we, like <laughs> if you're listening to this episode, you've heard something he's written. There you go. Although, I guess the music from that is just like license-free generic music, but, well, but he, still, he, he did the audio recording and mixing for it. It is still composed well. That is true, and it is very funny. And um, he's going to talk a little bit about storytelling and music, because yes. his songs are like little stories. Yeah, so Each if you, one is a little gem. Yeah, so if you have questions for him or about furry music in general, uh, try to get those in. Um, you know, before the end of this month, so that uh, we will have them in time for him to go over. And uh, speaking of guests, we're going to announce our guests for episode sixty-nine live at Further Confusion. Drum roll, please. Oh. Kit, you can... <laughs> Kit, you can put a drum roll in later, right? Our guests are going to be the Further Confusion writing guest of honor, Paul Kit. Yes, he's who, an Aussie, whom you may know from his. Uh, book a whisper of wings and uh, we've talked many times on this show about uh, lessons we learned in our screenwriting classes yes and this we is... are <laughs> we are fortunate enough to have somehow kit did this i don't know how how he did it but we've somehow managed to bamboozle our, our teacher from the screenwriting classes <laughs> carl york into being a guest on our show uh, and uh, <laughs> 
Ever since Kit told me this a couple months ago that we were planning to get Carl to be a guest at the live show, I've just been imagining how many ways this could be more awkward than Unsheathed Presents number four. I will not be surprised if it turns out that way. I will, because I think Carl's pretty... He's pretty mellow. He's pretty experienced. That's true. He um, he said he worked uh, in his younger days. He worked as a waiter in New York City in a bar in the gay district of New York. Um, he has read. He's a he's been a slush pile reader for a book company. He's been a script reader um, for various Hollywood agencies. And yeah, I guess if he was working out of Hollywood, you know. Two gay guys running an internet radio show is probably the least weird thing he's come across. And uh, he's also uh, a fairly familiar with horror conventions, horror movie conventions, and has uh, told us various quote-unquote horror stories about the entertaining people at those conventions. I I won't say they're weirder than furry fandom, but they're weird in a different way. I will say that a lot of my friends... Their fursuits all involve just, fake blood. <laughs> I would say a lot of my friends recently have uh, started reading Lovecraft for the first time. Like, I guess it's just... Wow, that'll know. mess you up. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it will. Like, in a good way. But um, now we're looking forward to it. Uh, Carl's a, he's a good guy. I don't, I don't know many people that I can talk to on a first-name basis who know more about storytelling and story structure. He knows uh, most of what he knows. He does f- sort of from the movie standpoint, but movies are really t- good examples of tight storytelling. So yeah, and you'll notice that when we give storytelling advice on this podcast, we refer to movies a lot because right. they are great examples. Because your story in a movie has to be tight. You don't have room to play around with wasted space. No, you really don't. Um, you can't. That's why the movie adaptations of Tolkien, even though. In Toto, the director cut is like 12 hours long. Yeah. They still leave out a good 30% of the books. It's like, oh, where are these 17 chapters detailing traveling from point A to point B? <laughs> yeah, we're just going to make that a five-minute scene. Um, so anyway, if you have questions about movies and storytelling for Carl, or if you have questions about furry writing, uh, Paul Kidd was publishing books back before, yeah. um, back when Conference was the only furry convention. Yeah, back so when the if fandom as we know it was not as we know it. <laughs> if you have questions about his take on the early days of the fandom, of course, Hirosaki and I have been around for a while, and Kid has too, but questions on his take of the early days and how the publishing landscape has changed for him, um, bring those questions and you know bring whatever questions you can to the live show because there's nothing we like more than having a live audience and nothing that's more sort of, I don't want to say disappointing, but kind of show killing and looking out at the live audience and saying, hey, so what should we talk about? And everybody's just like... I was just thinking I could mm. potentially get myself kicked off of my own podcast by going to Paul Kidd and being so like, so what was your inspiration for Spellsinger? <laughs> don't do that. I won't. I don't know much about him personally. I don't know how mad that would make him. The joke for those of you who don't know is that Spellsinger was actually written by Alan Dean Foster. <laughs> But yet it's been sort of, if if Furry Phantom had any canonical works, yeah, Spellsinger would be one of them. That is, yeah. That book is impossible to find now, by the way. The original? Yeah, I've I've looked for it for years, and I cannot find a copy of my own. Really? I, I searched... Did you try ABE books? 
Oh, I haven't tried them. But like, I went to, I went to. <laughs> so you haven't searched everywhere. No, but like, I, I have searched like every used bookstore like in the area, like and in Seattle. Like, I walked around on foot and went Authors to six used bookstores, poking their noses into little places looking for stuff. <sighs> looking, looking for old, old sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. And our our last bit of news before we get on to the questions, of which we have many, is where Kit and I are planning a. Kyle Gold's Spring 2011 book tour to support Isolation Play. Uh, definitely going to hit some locations on the West Coast. There may be some locations at play in the Heartland and the East Coast. We will see. Uh, Furry Fiesta will be a stop on the tour. We've bought our tickets now. We're definitely confirmed for that. So if you cannot make it down to Dallas in February or do not live on the West Coast, stay tuned um, or write in. And let us know what stops you'd like to see on the book tour. And if you can get, what would be our cutoff? 10 people? 15 people? If you can get a bunch of people at uh, in one location, then... But they all have to promise to buy a book. <laughs> Kit, says, Kit says 15. So let's see how that works. We will try our hardest to make it there. You guys are going to end up the continental in continental like, United States. You guys are going to end up Disclaimer. in like Cheyenne and be like, "How do we get bamboozled into coming to Cheyenne?" <laughs> Cheyenne would be fine. We go to Colorado all the time. It's like an hour and a half away. I'm more worried about ending up in Omaha. If you can or find 15 gay people in Wyoming, I will be shocked. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's 15 gay people in Wyoming. Just not sure that they're all in Cheyenne. But oh god, like I, I saw like I'd assume they all like, like the population of Cheyenne is like super tiny. It's like not even like a quarter million people. I've seen, I've seen Brokeback Mountain. I know they all live in ranches out in the, you know, way far reaches of the. That's where the Tetons are, isn't it? Yeah, so they probably. Yeah. Like, like I look at pictures of Cheyenne and I'm like, it looks like Mountain View, but more spaced out. <laughs> like someone dropped Mountain View from a great height. I think there might be more people in Mountain View than Cheyenne. Oh, actually, probably not. I think Mountain View is only, what, like 90,000 people? I'm about 90, 96. Yeah. I, think, I think Cheyenne's around 200,000. Anyway. Um, let's move on to the questions. Hello, sirs. First, I wanted to thank you for reading my letter on the speed round episode of Unsheathed. It was great to hear your answers, and I'm glad you seem to have fun with it. With the possible exception of Lovejoy, who I hope isn't truly upset about my little otter ML tag. But as promised over Twitter, I've put together a little apology letter. It was all done in good fun, so I hope none of you take offense. Even though you said you might, Lovejoy, you certainly don't need to read it on a future episode if you don't want to. But I do hope you get a kick out of it. Merry Christmas to you all. Hope you have a wonderful holiday. Maguzi. And Maguzi corrects us on the pronunciation of his name. Which I saying, mispronounced, I'm sorry. While I love the mental image of a weak mage carrying heavy artillery, Maguzi is actually pronounced Maguzi. At least that is how I pronounce it. It's Swahili, which makes more sense. That's that it's the, not subject to the English language rules. That's the of, second Swahili name we've come across this mm. podcast. Um, so here's his letter. Dear Mr. Lovejoy... It is with the utmost sincerity that I apologize for my recent letter to the esteemed Unsheathed podcast. I should have known better than to learn Otter with bait he couldn't refuse. An open zipper. Oh, no. A greeting marked by the Weasel Voice Otter ML tag. I have nothing but respect for you and everyone involved with the podcast, and I do hope you accept my apology. As a peace offering, I would like to make a couple of changes to Otter ML. In addition to the Weasel Voice tag introduced in my previous letter, I have added two new tags, Fox Voice and Otter Voice. I'm not entirely sure why Otter Voice wasn't already a tag in a language called OtterML, but let's ignore that plot hole for the sake of the joke. Here's an example of their usage. Fox Voice. <laughs> not all foxes are bottomy sluts! <laughs> Otter Voice. 
but it flusters me when they are. <laughs> I know that you are an honest, upstanding weasel who would never use these tags for evil. But if you're ever tempted, you now have the power. Kindest and waggiest of regards, Maguzi. I don't know why I would be flustered by foxes being bottomy. Well, Although apparently I get called out on it when they are. Well, yeah. Well, that's a nice sucking up to Lovejoy letter. I'll just blame Rikoshi and leave it at that. <laughs> we blame Rikoshi for everything. You know, if if he wants to, he could show up at one of the live episodes and just suck off Lovejoy directly instead of writing a letter to him. <laughs> Your kid scribbling away furiously on something, and I don't want to know what he's trying to say to us. Oh. <laughs> Should I move on to the next letter, Kyle? Uh, please do. Okay. Hello, sheathy podcasters. Well, I don't know, that was kind of a boner kill right there. It's another email from Earthdigger, your sporadic regular. Anyway, I was listening... <laughs> Stop it, Kyle. <laughs> anyway, I was listening to your last couple of episodes, and I had a few things to respond to. I'm just glad the to. listeners can't see that. First, to the Whistling Otter of episode 60, whose name I don't think was mentioned. I think his name is just Whistling Otter. I wanted to give my own yeah, It wasn't input. the Whistling Otter. It's not his name. He's not <laughs> Joe Spiderman. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Stab Man or Knifey Boy. It's the Blue Raja. I wanted to give my own input on a character who cannot die. I've written one myself with something similar as someone who can die but cannot go to the afterlife. Instead, resurrecting after a week or so so that death is not permanent. Like I just silence. have to interject here that the absolute best take that I've seen on a character who cannot die was the recent South Park trilogy of, about Coon and Friends. Oh, yes. With if, you have not seen that, if you have not seen that, do yourself a favor and go... Uh, TiVo it or download it or buy it or torrent it or whatever it is you kids do with South yeah. Park episodes these days because it was really amazing. Although if it's anything like the Imagination Land trilogy, they'll probably release it on its own DVD. Awesome. Which I know they did for that. Go on. One important thing to consider with such a character is that it is not impossible for them to lose. In fact, it's so possible for them to lose that they can do so many more they can do so many more times than anyone else. One possibility is that knowing how much death hurts, an immortal character may be even more afraid of death than a mortal. They may also take the death of any other characters around them quite a bit more seriously, wishing they could have taken the person's place. In fact, you may even have the uh, mortal members of your cast resent the immortal character because he can't die while the other people uh, while other people know they have. Of course, there's also the common issue with anyone who has a lifespan far longer than their peers. They always uh, they know that they will get to see everyone they know die eventually while they live on without them. These are all ways to turn immortality into a negative and make your character more human in a way, at least in my opinion. I also have to sort of point out, I just, I recently finished Cat uh, Valenti's book, Habitation of the Blessed, which I wrote about in my live journal, and I'll be posting a review of it. But the land, which I'm not sure how to pronounce, Pentezor, Pentexor. Okay. It's P-E-N-T-E-X-O-R-E. Okay. Stupid form, stupid word pronunciations. I anyway, you, <laughs> all the inhabitants of that land drink from the fountain of youth, so they never die. And that means that they're all immortal. And so she has various ways of how they deal with that, which are very interesting and well thought out, well realized. Another example to look at is uh, in the classic Japanese animation, Giant Robo, there's a character named uh, Kenji Murasame who also can't die. And, like, the main character actually, like, basically, like, just 
tears him a new one at one point. He's like, I'm like watching all my friends die all around me. It's like, I don't even like you and you're still alive. <laughs> and he's, he like resents this guy for the fact that he can't die while everyone else can. So yeah, that, I think that feeds into his point. Now on to my question for Kyle and KM. I was writing a story a while back containing said character as the main character, and as part of the world building, I made a shy supporting character that was a rookie in the same group. Over time, as I was writing it, I realized I was far more interested in telling this rookie story and decided to focus on him instead, as I felt the story was better for it. Have either of you wound up with a character who was supposed to just have a supporting role becoming the main character? Or, alternatively, had a case where a supporting character got their own story, or at the very least had fans that wish they did? Not including my own opinions on Amir and Finn. Oh, well, have we got a surprise for you? I look forward to hearing your response, Earth Digger. Um, have I gone on in my bit here on the show about the Great Gatsby? I probably have. Uh, or is it, is it, do it, is, it is it too much to surmise that any of our listeners have read the Great Gatsby? You know, honestly, I've read it, but it was so long ago. But I mean, that's a case where I guess it's not directly related. But you've got you know the story is nominally about Gatsby, but the main character and the narrator is Nick. Right. And so, like, you've, you sort of, you know, you're getting the experience through him, even though you have this other character that, like, the story's more about, and which is, you know, that's what this sort of reminds me of. So, I mean, that's an example to look at. And honestly, you can do worse than to look to F. Scott Fitzgerald for, you know, writing chops. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to say... You know, he brings up Bridges, and initially, the the initial story of Bridges was just supposed to be the first one. And yeah, because I got you thinking about three ways and spit roasting. Exactly, and uh, you know, Hayward was just going to be the the fox who ended up sucking off a mirror, not the you know focus of the entire book. But after I'd written the first story, I was kind of like, well, you know, Amir is more the the one who gets pulled into all this. And Hayward is actually the more interesting character because, as I think we talked about, you know, what kind of character puts himself in those situations <laughs> oh, repeatedly. Someone who is so very sad and broken. <laughs> <laughs> Not to spoil the story if you yeah. haven't read it. Not to say that if any of you out there are into three ways, that doesn't mean that you're sad and broken. Don't worry. No, no. We're not trying to this, say that. This particular pattern of behavior. So, I mean, that kind of happened with me. Most of the time, though, the story ideas that I get stem from a character in a situation. Yeah. And so, I don't really... I, I sometimes end up with supporting characters that then get their own stories. Like, the Forrester universe is all full of... I, I wrote a story about Alan once, who was Lee's ringtail friend from the mm-hmm. P fl- uh, Flag. Yeah. Um, P Flag is different and real. Yes. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. What about you? Um, hmm. Seeing as I mostly write short stories, it's not super applicable in that case because most of them are also one-offs too. So it's kind of hard to really get into that. I mean, there are minor side characters in Summerhill that over the course of it becoming a novel instead of just a short story, they sort of took on bigger personalities and warranted more stories just as a matter of course. But that's not quite the same thing, I don't think. Right, right. All right. So, I mean, I think it's perfectly valid. I think you've got to follow where your interest is and what engages you. So if you're more interested in a side character, then go for it. Follow that up. 
Yeah, I mean, but, and, I mean, it sounds like he already did. You know, uh, other things do this too. Like, uh, if you watch Burn Notice, uh, the character of Sam Axe, uh, who's played by Bruce Campbell, is getting his own spin-off made-for-TV movie, which uh, I am very much looking forward to because uh, a, I love Bruce Campbell, and b, I think that Sam's a really fun character, and I think it's cool that they're sort of letting him get the spotlight for a little movie here. Cool. I know you don't watch Burn Notice personally, but... We it, want to. It fits the trope. It doesn't have the time. No, 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 it fits. Oh, yeah. All right. So, hello. We did. I talked about... I talked about, hey, we're sucking off a mirror. Kit doesn't think that's a valid blowjob reference. Uh, hmm. What can we do here? Well, much ado about blowjobs. Hold on. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, you know, three ways and spit roasting. I'm like, I could reference three ways I've been in, but that might not be no, good. No, I, I think he wants us to say something like it's when, you know, it's kind of when, like, if you're starting in to make out with someone and you start on, you know, the, the blowjob is kind of a prelude to the actual sex, but then you find out that you're enjoying the blowjob so much or... He's enjoying it so much that that's just how you finish. Or I was going to say, like, and then you're like, about you don't need to get onto the actual sex because that was the that was what it ended up being. Or I was going to say, like, the whole thing about side characters is like, you know, maybe you're at like a convention and you're making out with like your mate or your boyfriend, but you've got another friend there who's like sucking you off while you're making out with your boyfriend, and you start liking him more, and you know, you develop this weird two timing relationship. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of a story I would write. <laughs> There you go. Does that satisfy you? All right. And any relationship to persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Hello. I just want to start off by saying that your podcast has restored my faith person. in medium. I guess it's sort of like YouTube. Everyone posts whatever they damn well please, and you have to dig through mountains of garbage to get to the good stuff. Wow. Also, thank you for taking the time to respond to my monologue question from last time. I got quite a lot out of that, not the least of which was not tube monologue. Which that was, was amazing. Awesome. <laughs> This time around, I have two questions. One is right and related, while the other is slightly more personal. My first question, I've written stories in both third and first person. First person is pretty obvious. You climb into the character's head and see what they see. It's in third person that things become a bit less simple. You can choose to go with a tight focus, like Kyle's done in Waterways. Mm, tight focus. Or you can have an omniscient narrator who knows a lot more than any single character. How do you decide on the d amount of omniscience to give your narrator? I always feel like having an all-knowing narrator diminishes the suspense somewhat, since you already know what everyone is thinking. On that note, can you play with the focus during the course of the story, change how much the narrator knows and which character's thoughts he can evade, or does that make things too confusing for the readers? I hope this isn't too convoluted a question. Um, let's talk about that one first, and then we'll go on to the rest of the letter. Yeah. Uh, so, it doesn't seem like he's more trying to determine how do you choose between third and first but more how do you determine how to do third uh in general uh third person limited is far more common than third person omniscient i tend uh, to associate third person omniscient with like big epic stories like epic fantasies and yeah where you're jumping around to a bunch of characters like lord of the rings is third person yeah. omniscient and, like, other things that can play... It really depends on the story and the storytelling style. Like, like Pratchett does it, and he's able to pull that off. But, I mean, yeah. I don't know if I would use him as a guideline to follow for anyone. So. Well, I mean, think of Lord of the Rings, where yeah. the tension in the story comes not from what are the characters thinking, but how are they going to succeed? And the omniscient narrator never goes into Sauron's head. You never That's see, true. oh, the Dark Lord 
then prepared his hordes to go meet Frodo at the gates before he could, you know, whatever. Yeah, because it's told from, like, an omniscient historical perspective. Right. Yeah. And you sort of know, you know everything about parts of the story, but you don't know all of the story. Yeah, you don't know everything all the time, which is like... And you can derive some tension from, um, and I, I did some of this in uh, Shadow and Oscillation play, where you have two first-person narratives, so it's clear that one person knows something and the other person doesn't. And when they know different things and they're planning different things, you can see when those are going to collide. And with the omniscient narrator, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as for, you know, limited, there's degrees of limited. And, you know, we do talk about, you know, if it's like a really like, you know, if it's like a pulled back, you know, limited, or if it's like a close and tight third person. I like my third person tight too, like a coyote's muzzle when it's wrapped around my dick. Um, but, um, yeah, if you look at if you look at most of my stories, the ones that are in third person usually are a pretty tight third person. Right. And if you want to see one where I have a very loose third person and it's very POV shifty, uh, my story Wick was a deliberate attempt to play with point of view lack of consistency. Uh, I wrote that after getting off of an Amy Bender bender. <laughs> right. And so that was, she's and, and Kelly Link was in there too. I remember. Wow. She's weird. She is weird. Kelly Link's weird too, but a different, slightly different flavor of weird. Yes. Going on. My other question is this. I've been a furry for as long as I can remember. I have Brian Jock to thank for that. I suppose. I'm very comfortable with this, but feel as if my friends might not be. Now, they've accepted me being gay pretty easily, but I fear that me being a furry might be a bit tougher for them to swallow. This is actually... Oh, man, I made my blowjob reference in vain. We already had one built into the email. This is actually one of the reasons why I really didn't do much writing until this August. I feared ostracism from my friends and felt that nobody else would be really interested in reading my stories. It was actually a post on Kyle's Life Journal that gave me the idea to create an account on So Furry and start writing. In these few short months, writing has become a huge part of my life. It allows me to express myself in a way that I never knew I could. I want badly to share this part of my life with my friends, but I just don't know how they'll react. It feels like coming out of the closet all over again. How did your non-furry friends react when they found out about this part of your life? How did you break the news to them? Thanks for reading and responding, Alflor. Okay, so this is a subject <laughs> I'll that tell I'm, you when it happens. I'm pretty passionate about. Short version, furries really need to be... Auto rant warning. Yeah, they, they need to, furries need to stop feeling ashamed of being furry. Honestly, for the most part, most people have no idea what, quote-unquote, being furry means or what it's about. They have no preconception. In this case, it's like, you write stories about animals... That's all anyone needs to know. It's not like writing stories about animals carries with it some weird stigma. Nobody like goes to like the bookstore and like buys out all of the Brian Jock stuff so they can have a big Brian Jock's bonfire. I mean, it's not like this well, is something not that's, because it's furry anyway. Yeah, not because it's, oh snap! Hey, there are twenty books here, but really, there's like three of them. That's <laughs> uh, not rip on Brian Jock. Okay, no, I. I Redwall is a very good book, and I, it certainly... So I think he wrote it four more times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much. I, I do put it on required reading, quote-unquote, for any aspiring furry writer for things that you should read for to see how this whole weird thing is done. But no, I mean, really, you don't need to, like, out yourself as furry. 
if you want to show your friends stories you've written and just give them to them and like it, they just happen to be stories about animals honestly like there's just stuff like that out there anyway like we were talking about stuff like paul kid alan dean foster you know cj sherry like otter like uh, otters authors like this <laughs> you know like i said and we we mentioned For this Roy a lot slip. actually uh jeff mentioned this uh, during our live episode from FFM, is the whole it's not furry because they don't call themselves that, right? Like when you're talking about stuff like Black Sad or whatnot, and so it's not like this is some like indelible thing that like mars your work. Like seriously, like don't worry about it. And uh, well, I'm I'm gonna play not quite devil's advocate, but maybe kind of half. Devil's advocate. Okay, I'll let you get a word in edgewise before I finish. Lesser demons thought. advocate, maybe. I don't know, or like devil's paralegal, um, devil CPA. <laughs> on on one hand, if you're worried about the impression that people have of furry or furries, the best way to counter that is by providing a positive counterexample. Yes, and so you just say, "Hey, I like doing this stuff. It's a hobby, um, but." You do not have to share with your friends things like, I really feel like I have the spirit of a fox inside me, and sometimes I feel that I can wag my tail, and or, I want to get my eyes surgically altered to have vertical pupil slits, and really, in my spare time, what I love most to do is look at pictures of dog people sucking off cat people. Yeah. And or, you know, when I'm reading gay porn, I get off a lot harder when the characters have, like, wagging tails and are covered with fur. Like, that when falls have, into TMI. And when they have, like, knots in their cocks and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, when you told your friends you were gay, I'm pretty sure you didn't go into details on what about your sexuality you liked more than others. You don't need to tell them that when it comes to talking about what aspects of writing about animal people you enjoy more either. Although and, I will say parenthetically that when uh, if certain of your friends who are um, closer to you, I've had the experience of friends who asked me when I came out to them, um, so how how did you figure out that you liked doing this? Like, how did you go from this seems kind of gross to, oh, no, I like it? Like, wouldn't you have had to try it? And so people do occasionally get curious because it's out of their realm of expertise. So when you talk to people about being furry, you may get some of that. Like, how did you start to identify with these animal people? Yeah. But – because Again, animal people are cool. I mean, you know, focus on the positives of the fandom. You don't have to go into all of the weird crap right away because they are getting that from CSI and MTV. Yeah. And but Vanity even then, those Fair are one-offs that come into the public consciousness and are gone a week later. And the only people who still remember that are us. And it's not entirely true. Uh, you get I, – I, I hear from – people who say oh i told my parents i was a furry and they were like oh does that mean you're going to get a costume like on that csi episode okay i mean it lingers but they don't talk yeah about i was gonna it. say like, the public at large does not have a preconception on what quote-unquote furry is and like unless your friends are a bunch of b-tards i don't think that they're going to like instantly lash out and come down on you when they find out that you write stories about animals i really don't think that's going to happen and also um just like I'm sure when you're hanging out with your friends, 
you're not constantly talking about being gay, like you're not hanging out with them and being, like, oh, check out that guy, and oh, I'd really like to suck that guy's dick or whatever. You don't have to talk about being furry all the time. Um, you can talk about the stories and say, hey, I'm I'm having a really good time writing these stories, but you also have to accept that it may not be something that your friends are willing to invest any time or energy into. I mean, if you look at how hard it is just to get people who are furry and are invested in that to read stories, um, you know, getting people who are not invested in furry to read is like the trials of Sisyphus. Yeah. Ooh, good reference. Classical. Also, when you're, when you're talking earlier about like, you know, non-gay people like asking and being curious, my favorite awkward, like, non-gay set of terminology are the terms pitcher and catcher because i don't know any gay people who actually use those terms that's only like terms oh, that straight only, people they, use. only use them ironically oh yeah but like because they're so uncomfortable talking about it and like they need like little nicknames and it's like please we use the terms top and bottom okay <laughs> and, like, but it's funny because like and like you hear it it's like it's it's so dumb it's almost offensive kit did we uh Satisfy? Did we get our ding? Oh, we got like three blowjobs in that one. All right. Let's move on. All right. Gold Sensei to Hirosaki Sensei. Hajimemashite, watakushi wa kami o to moshimasu. Dozo yoroshiku onegai itashimasu. Keigo ga daikirai da. Nande ikinari daikirai da te tsukeru nante. Sorry. Been a long time since I had to write Keigo. Keigo does suck. I have to agree with you. By the way, if you don't speak Japanese, that was all fucking funny. <laughs> I had two questions about writing. One that is general, but specifically related to a project I am currently working on, and one that is more general. I will note, by the way, that the most common phrase Hirosaki has said to me concerning Japanese wordplay is, it's really funny, but I have no idea how to translate it. Yeah, that's, that's, that pretty much explains bilingual humor. I will start with the more general question first. I have been focused on academic writing since I began college in 2005, and while I graduate in, uh, back in 2009, I am currently in the process of applying to graduate school with plans on remaining in academia forever. Ah, uh, professional student. Mm. My question is, are there any tricks to switching between two significantly different writing styles with completely different purposes? I'm Just guessing he's talking about like, academia academic versus fiction. Versus fiction. Are there any tricks? realize that the two are completely separate disciplines and require different skills picture your audience while you're writing it (laughs) yeah no that's true naked naked waggy tailed on their knees if i write a story about these characters giving each other blowjobs will that make my audience want to do the same also (laughs) am i am i writing a story for an audience that wants to read about blowjobs or am i writing you know a sexual psychology piece where i talk about you know what goes through the human brain i will go back to dave barry's column where he said his editor told him he could use the word breast so long as it was not used to arouse prurient interest so (laughs) as long as it was used in a scientific way and not to arouse prurient interest so he said i could write one breast plus two breasts equals three breasts, but I could not write, hey, get a load of that breast. <laughs> <laughs> like just the one. <laughs> Go on. I'm just thinking of the chick with three boobs in Total Recall. My second question relates to a project oh, of the man with three on. buttocks in Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. Putting the queer in queer core addresses issues relating to gender and sexual identities in indie punk rock intended for mature furry audiences. 
Wow. The story exists only as a part of one of a five-part series I plan on writing. The opening story is written in third person, and the closing story will be in third person, but the other three parts will be in first person, one for each of the three band members, and each part will have a title from the band Slater Kinney's catalog. The second band part will be entitled Ballad of a Lady Man. And the Ballad of a Lady Man. Oh, totally not the same song. And that doesn't even scan. My plan is to have the initial conflict relating to the gender identity of the lead character, which is introduced in the first part, developed in the second part, which will be told from that character's perspective and introduce a related conflict that will be developed in the next part, and so forth. My current issue is that the opening story is over 8,000 words and has a major weakness. I haven't been able to significantly introduce the gender identity conflict. I have hints and references in the text through small actions or exclusions, but it isn't obvious for anyone not initiated in the music scene, the music genre I'm exploring. I have come to the conclusion that it may be best to introduce the conflict in the opening scene through lyrics, since the story begins with them on stage. However, despite having studied music theory and music criticism, I have no understanding of lyrical composition. In your opinions, is it wise to go down this route? If so, are there any uh, resources within the fandom that could help me? If not, is there an alternative short <laughs> sort of ruining the major spoiler at the end of the piece? Feel free to edit as you would like. Uh, thank you, Cameo. It sounds that like would be you a have great a great question for Colson. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you have a very complex story in mind and it almost sounds like you don't quite have it all sorted out in your head and i don't I mean I that as an that, insult no i will say that i'm familiar with, with that problem of um oh I, I need to introduce this plot twist in this section and then you just can't make it work yeah and it never comes up um hi sorry how um i'm a little bit puzzled i guess why you feel that um I guess I, I think it feels like you're worrying a little too much about making um, plausible lyrics yeah. to introduce your thing. I mean, the closest I've found to lyrics are poetry, but you also have to remember something that this is something I heard on, I think it was This American Life. The best pop song lyrics are actually pretty dumb. They're catchy phrases that kind of have meaning and then you repeat them. They scan real well, but they don't really mean anything so if you're trying to take like a poem and turn it into a song it's going to end up being too complex to be a good song because it's already a poem um i would you know honestly we'll we'll bring up that question when we have colson on the show and we'll ask rah, him about rah, how he uh, does uh, uh, roma romama gaga yes. ooh la la <laughs> there I mean, you go i mean even just go go through the words of that song and i want your I want your ugly. I want your desire. I want your yeah. It's yeah. It 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 it, it sounds you good. Get kind but it of a sense of it, but it doesn't. Yeah. But if you were to say those things to someone or write a poem like that, it, people would be like, "What? <laughs> Boy, you might be functionally retarded." I want your so, drama. Your vertigo stick. Yeah. Like I don't. What What does that mean? I don't right. know. It just sounds good and it scans good. Yeah. So don't don't beat yourself up too much. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I would put the gender conflict into the lyrics though uh it's it's probably best if you can figure out a way to do it within the confines of the story and what that's going to mean is you may have to throw away part of the setup of your story yeah. a lot of what you're writing sounds like it's probably set up and world building and background before you get to the actual point that is the point of your story so yeah. start later you know throw out four or five thousand words of your eight thousand and then keep writing until you get to the conflict part yeah, that's a good suggestion. 
And really, when it comes to longer stories, one of the things that you tend to find is that the beginning is what you end up throwing out. Yep. Quite often. Yes. Uh, did we get our Did we get our ding for that one? Uh, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I was talking about writing academic papers about blowjobs. There you go. Yeah. Ding. Okay. Greetings and Rudder's wishes to you both, plus whomever you may happen to have on the show at the time you read this. It's getting chilly, so that means it's time for football, turkeys, and NaNoWriMo. This will be the first time I'm attempting it, so I want you guys to call me out to keep me on the right track. Uh, I should point out that we answered this letter privately because we knew we were not going to get to read it on the air right away, and we didn't. Um, I do have one problem. The story I want to write 50,000 words of is an idea that's been floating around in my head for a good, oh, two years now, and I think it's high time it makes it to paper after about a dozen rewrites in my head. One planned key plot point of the story is the development of a romantic relationship between two of the main characters. In my loose outlines of the narrative, we've already talked about loose versus tight, several times that development is brought about by intimate sexual scenes. Now, here lies my problem. I'm 16, turning 17 in January. I don't have much experience in that particular area. I want to use NaNoWriMo as a springboard to finally get this thing written, but I don't want the narrative to suffer because of my lack of sexual experience. As if this wasn't problem enough, if I do get the entire story written, I want to get it published, but I don't think that SoFool from Her Planet will be inclined to publish a story that contains material that the author legally shouldn't be touching with a 10-foot pole. So there's the problem. I've already discussed this extensively with my girl, and she thinks I should go for it, but I want another opinion. I'm putting my neck on the proverbial chopping block, but if I don't get some advice from people with life experience, I think my head will explode. Besides, I think this letter will, at the very least, spark a very interesting discussion. Sorry about the wall of text, and thanks for the weekly dose of hilarity your podcast brings. Oh, and of course, you know the great stories you both write. Fondly yours, Shane Ravenwood. P.S. Hirosaki-san, finish Summerhill. Working on it. <laughs> I'm very impressed you didn't say, fuck you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to swear at somebody who's underage. <laughs> so there's a question. How do you write a story about giving an awesome blowjob if you've never given an awesome blowjob yourself? Well... Or, it says he has a girl, and if she's under 18 also, then it's not technically a crime. That's true. Notcast went into great detail about the... the Romeo and Juliet laws. Romeo and Juliet yeah. laws, and when it is a crime and when it's not. And, you know, depending on what state you live in, you may already be over the age of consent, or yeah. maybe by January, because I think two-thirds of the United States, the age of consent is 16 or 17. That said, I think the most populous states, it's 18, California, New York, and yeah. um, maybe Illinois, although I'm not sure about that one. Um, but, yes, um, well, you know, one way to do it, and really walking a fine line here, What we so what we told them in the letter was, go for it, write the story, because honestly, what's going to happen when you're done with your NaNoWriMo story is it's not going to be a publishable story right there. No, it won't be. You turn 17 this January, you're going to turn 18 January 2012, so take that year to keep on editing the story, finish it up. Chances are it's not going to be a finished story either, yeah. so finish your first draft, do some editing, um, pass it around to people that you feel comfortable passing it around to, and um, you know, come yeah. January... Go out and get a whole lot of experience and then polish up those sections and send it off. Yeah. And honestly, like <laughs> a year plus is not, you know, 
too much time to expect on working on a novel. I've been working on Summerhill for over a year, and I do have several years of publishable writing experience behind me. You know, it's not like it magically gets easier or faster, or like you can just skip over it. In fact, the, the more yeah. you learn, the slower it actually gets because yeah. you start to have all these other things that you're trying to keep track of in your head. Yeah. The you also become more diligent with editing. You understand that rushing isn't going to make it better. Right. And the stuff that slows you down at first, like trying to keep consistent character voice, once that becomes second nature, then you start worrying about things like carrying themes throughout a novel and yep. imagery throughout a novel and being consistent in other areas. So there's always yeah. more to... And it's like, oh, is the tone of the story matching what I want? You right. know, is my use of language? Am I pulling this secondary character's arc in enough? Am I pulling it in too much? And uh, Are there enough blowjobs? Are there are too there many, many blowjobs? Blow what are blowjobs? <laughs> we just don't know. <laughs> blowjobs. Blowjobs, right. So, honestly, it's like, once you know once you get past the initial discomfort of oh hey there's somebody you know of how to give a blowjob then yeah. you start focusing on technique and there's always more to learn yeah. it's a continual learning process and the longer you go and the better you start to get at them the more you will start to question your own technique yes <laughs> and wonder how you could possibly be doing it better Although, and, although there is a point where you say, they can take a while, but is it taking too long? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, issues that I have in the back of my head. <laughs> but also, to, to also briefly touch upon the subject about how do you write about sex when your own sexual experience is limited. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking, I think it was to Candrel, where he's like, I want to write about, you know, people getting into fights, but I've never gotten into a fight, and I don't think I should just get into one to know about it. I think it is a good idea to go back to that podcast where we were talking to Candrel about fights and see how you could apply that to your own situation. Yes. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I didn't quite say what you were afraid of saying. I came close. Kit. <laughs> Kit. 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 Kit contributes. <laughs> Kit contributes the the doubts that come into the minds of the blowjob giver. Have I have I given my best blowjob? Will I ever give one that good again? <laughs> Are all my best blowjobs behind me? <laughs> what if this is as good as it gets? And it is the job of the recipient to reassure the giver that in fact that was your best blowjob yet. Oh, you're a good fox. That was a good blowjob. Good fox. Yes. Honesty. Or good wolf. Good otter. Ah! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, that Honesty is much more the place of the person given critiques of written works. Honesty is the best blowjob policy. No, very much not. It's oh, oh, so you should lie about blowjob quality is what you're saying. Saying that you should always do what makes your partner feel good. Dear K-named podcasters, <laughs> what is never written in erotic stories but should be? What is missing from so many that would improve them? Blowjobs. <laughs> Every kink and combination is likely addressed somewhere, <laughs> but what kind of porn sadly has very little written about it? This is from Rashan. 
Wow, you flustered me so much that you read my email. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So you were uh, not in a state to read it. No, I don't think you were either. Um, <laughs> I will say, if the internet has taught me anything, it's that there is nothing out there that is never written about neurotic stories. I'm pretty sure that somebody somewhere has written porn about everything under the sun. Yeah, and I would say I don't, I can't think of any kind of porn that sadly has very little written about it. I can think of several kinds of porn that sadly have way too much written about it. But Straight porn. Oh, oh. No, I didn't mean to go there. I love you straight people. Um... You know, if you think something's underrepresented, just write a story about it. Yeah. Um, I, that's This question is has such a subjective bent to it that I'm not really sure how to answer it academically. Yeah. Like, like, oh, like, what's out there that doesn't have enough written about it? It's like, well, that really depends on your tastes. Yeah. Like, if you're really into transformation, you'd be like, oh, man, like, how could nobody write good transformation porn? And, like, I don't know, maybe they do. Maybe transformation is an area that has a lot written about it, and I just don't know. Because that's not my thing. There is. There's a whole transformation story archive. Oh, but that doesn't mean but, it's good. Well, um, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there's nothing that doesn't have enough written about it because the stuff that I think needs more stuff, more written about it, I write about. So There you go. All right. Blowjobs. Uh, we, we got our ding for that one from Kit. Well, thank you all for the letters. Please keep writing in. Write in your best books of 2010. Write in or come up with your questions for Paul Kidd and Carl York. Um, and Colson. And Colson. And follow us on F.A. as Unsheathed. Yep. Follow me on F.A. as Kyle. And on LiveJournal and Twitter as Kyle Gold. I now have a Facebook page under the name Kyle Gold, which caused a great amount of consternation from a bunch of people who felt the need to tell me how much they hate Facebook. Consternation and stabbiness. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, I'm don't get on it then. I'm not abandoning LiveJournal. I swear to you, my friends, I'm not abandoning LiveJournal. I will be on LJ until they, um, till it falls into the pit that used to be the Kremlin. <laughs> Why are you on Facebook? I don't want to be on Facebook. Well, I guess I'll just have to keep following me on just LJFA and Twitter. And my website. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I am on LJ, FA, and Twitter as Cam Hirasaki. I am not on Facebook. I don't think I'm important enough to be on Facebook. We might get, we might put an unsheathed page up on Facebook. That might be something worth Oh, uh, That might be something. Or like, you know, the, the Otter Blowjob fan page. Ooh. You can click on whether or not you like Otter Blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> there, I even Blowjob reference Facebook. Ah, uh, you're welcome. Well, it Facebook. is called Facebook. Oh, <laughs> um, and Kit does not have an FA page, but he does have a Twitter account. You can follow him as Kit Silver. He All is one word, trying to sneak one last comment into our show. I think he hates us. No, I'm not going to mention that on the show. Um. We'll let all the listeners wonder what that was, and then in like a month they'll ask us, and I'll be like, I have no idea what I was talking about. Um, so I am. Uh, I don't want to make a blowjob reference in my extra. I am holiday spirited Kyle Gold. And I am one million and one KM Hirasaki. And uh, have a good night and keep up the writing. <laughs>